You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Greetings, one and all, to the Worship Review Series 5. My name is Tyler, and I'm joined by David Hey, and Colin. I'm Colin. I can't roll my R's like Tyler can. I can roll my R in different places in my mouth, unfortunately. This is one aspect of, of uh, German that's useful for nothing. And uh, today we are beginning a series on music that's won GMA Dove Awards. So these are awards awarded by the Gospel Music Association. And today we're taking a look at Gyra by Elevation Worship and Maverick City Music. This song is the lead single from the band's 2021 joint album, Old Church Basement, which won Album of the Year. Is there a kind of music the Dove Awards specifically cover? Actually, to some extent, yes, but to some extent, no. So they cover Christian music, but they have different categories. There's contemporary Christian music, there's gospel music, there's other kinds of music that fall under a kind of broader heading of christian music but is not um it's not strictly contemporary christian music and second question would you happen to be uh, a phd candidate linguist working at a at a research university and and colin would you be a history (laughs) professor from a a research university is that why we should be listening to you guys talk about this and have you both led singing in churches before it's it's like you're asking questions that that just lead exactly into our areas of expertise indeed david that's the case okay just wondered I don't I don't think anyone should listen to me because of my credentials, but maybe because of my experience with uh, well, leading they, worship. They, sh- to they should listen to me only because of my credentials, because what actually comes out of my mouth is is useless. Yeah. So this like th- most credential people, I rest entirely on the weight of my pieces of paper mm-hmm. and past generations. So Tyler, of- you're a fair tick, really. You're uncredentialed, but the <sighs> words that come out of your mouth are what give you value. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, um speaking of Stephen Furtick, this song was uh, I mispronounced. Was, is that what you uh, yeah, were saying? Yeah, I said Furtick? his name wrong. I'm so okay. sorry. No, that's fine. I thought uh I guess well, you, I am a fair you, tick you, kind of leeching on You Germanicized yeah. it. Yeah. Du bist fertig. Das gemacht. Ach, goodness. Herzlich willkommen zum Worship Review, unser Lieblingspodcast. Um and and shoulder gun calling. This song is by two different groups. We have Elevation Worship, uh, which is the contemporary worship music band from Charlotte, North Carolina, from Elevation Church, Vertex Church there. Um, this band we have covered many different times on the podcast. They're famous for Oh, Come to the Altar, Do It Again, See a Victory, The Blessings, The Blessing Singular, excuse me, and Graves into Gardens. How do they generally fare with you guys in the past? 
<laughs> I'm not trying to. I just really don't know. Generally, honestly. yeah, generally okay. not well. I would say. Um, okay, so Colin, you gave a come to the altar a three, and I gave it a two. Uh, we did not do do it. Ag- oh, we did do do it again. We each gave it a two. Um, for see a victory, we did not do that song. Um, but the blessing, uh, you get. We each gave fours to and graves into gardens. Uh, we each gave it two. So it's kind of a hit or miss group tending to miss more than your, your delightful surprise at the blessing. I recall that episode. Yeah, right. Right. It's nice to like something you don't and, like, isn't it? It's like extra tasty. Almost. Yeah, it's ple- it's a pleasant yeah. surprise. Yeah. You walk into something and you think, oh, boy, here we go. Um, they've taken the ironic blessing. Oh, country music. Oh, wait, Stallone is singing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this this group is well awarded. So um, they're the 2021 Billboard Top Christian Artist. They were nominated for the 2021 Dove Worship Recorded Song of the Year for this song, but they lost to themselves because another <laughs> song of theirs won. So Graves Into Gardens won. Um, yet, even so, the album on which Gyra is, so Old Church Basement is the name of the album, won Album of the Year. Um, and again, as I said on last week's episode, Furtick uh, kind of swept the board with 10 different song nominations at these awards. And Maverick City Music is an Atlanta-based contemporary worship collective. And uh, for those of us who watched the uh, video, it did seem like a kind of collective group of people kind of all singing together in a, at least in a semicircle, if not a full circle. So the title Gyra, uh, as is probably not a surprise to uh, most, comes from the title Jehovah Gyra or Yahweh uh, Yaira, which comes from Genesis 22, where um, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his gifted son, Isaac. And in Genesis 22, verse 14, um, it is written, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the NIV says, as opposed to the ESV, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And so the um, Jireh means literally, it's from the verb ra'ah, which means to see, and by extension, by um, a kind of a euphemistic use of language to provide, as in to see it something through. And so Jehovah Jireh means... Um, it's, it's a little bit of a controversial term as to what exactly it means, but it means something along the lines of the Lord will provide or the Lord um, sees. So um, with that being said, shall we get into some of the lyrics? Let's do it. See. Okay. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy. To make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Ooh. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Oh. Oh. So, I mean, I'll start and just say, uh, at first I thought, This is a little bit of an interesting way to say this. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. And when you're, if you watched the video first, you might think, okay, he's talking about a particular moment in time. 
And in a sense, he is because he says right now. But then I was thinking about this line. And actually, this I think this is a true statement. Um, if you take this to mean in the present, I will ne- I am always in the present with God's love. I God's love for me is not going to change. So it is accurate to say I would never be more loved than I am right now because God's not going to love me more because I'm already loved perfectly in God. I don't know, David, what do you think? I uh, Exactly that. I, it, it's funny. It always hits me first as like a description of relational stagnancy is what it sounds like. Like, this mm-hmm. is it. This is as good as it gets, you know, which is not what it means. But that's what I wrote. It 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 reads, it feels like it says the relationship is stagnant. But in point of fact, it's doctrinally correct. 100%. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and a good way to say that, to be honest. Yeah. There's no time you could say that that you'll be wrong. Whatever the right now is. Yep. Ding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And, and I thought it was also, there was sort of clever ways of amplifying this idea that we're in God's love. So there's this line, I wasn't or wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I can do to let you down. I thought that was clever. We It's based on a euphemism of when we say we let somebody down, we don't even know what that means. At least I don't think about what I'm saying. If I said I let somebody down, well, how did they get up there? Did I put them up there? And so the person that wrote this song obviously thought about what does it mean to say I let somebody down? Well, was I holding them up in the first place? Well, with God, we weren't holding him up in the first place. We like, so, so obviously there's nothing I can do to let them down. What are you, Tyler, David, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. I thought this was a a clever use of language here in the second and third line uh, as well. This, um, almost cheeky to be quite honest, wasn't holding you up. So there's nothing I could do to let you down. You can almost imagine a guy, you know, shining a little bit of a bright smile at the end of that. I would add one point of, I guess, order to this first line. This is true for the Christian, and so you have to read that from the perspective of the Christian in order for that to be the case. Um, if someone is not a convert or something like that, then um, they can't read that line and sing that, I think, with uh, uh, sincerity. So, Well, they may sing it sincerely, but it would not be correct. Well, you've turned me, both of you, because I, I thought it was too clever. I thought it was wordsmithing for wordsmithing's sake, because I know what let you down means. I don't know how let you down means what it means, but I know what it means. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have anything to do with your having been up in the first place. So Mm. I just thought, well, we're just saying this because it's a clever thing to say. But you're not wrong. I mean, I mean, it, it I know what it means to say, too, you know, and of course, I'm two lines in. So, you know, I'm I'm not giving the song its due because it's written in a certain style and I haven't gotten, I haven't connected with that yet. So I, I actually dinged it on that, but I think I, re, I retract my ding. Of, okay. Of oh, fair enough. Convert. Uh, what about this next line? So it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. So uh, I also kind of like this idea, at least in essence, but while scripture doesn't say that we're trophies of God, th- this is kind of implied. You'll, you'll hear, hear uh, sermons sometimes, and there even there's even some songs that use titles like this, of us being trophies of grace. So while a, it's true that it doesn't take a trophy to make God proud in the sense that we don't need to do something, earn a trophy, and then God says, oh, great, I'll accept you now. That's definitely true. But there's a, I think there's a little bit of a missed opportunity here to talk about Ephesians 2, verses six through seven, where Paul says uh, that we were raised up with Christ 
seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I think it's true, a trophy that we bring doesn't make God proud. But in a what Paul's saying is true. I think what Paul's saying is we are the trophy. Um, we're actually a sign. We're actually a thing that brings God glory because he has been so kind to us and showed his grace to us. And that does make God proud. That brings God glory. That brings God praise. That is a chance for him to show who he is. And again, I'm not I'm not going to fault the song for saying for not getting into that, but maybe just I thought that language of trophy just provided a good opportunity to emphasize that there is a kind of trophy that really does make God proud and it's us. Would you do that later in the song or do you think that should have been done here? I don't think they needed to put what I just said in the song, but I think I just this part provided a, provides me at least as a reviewer a good opportunity to say, you know, if we do think more broadly about this, mm-hmm. though, there is a kind of trophy that God is pleased with, and and it's us. I guess I could take your point, and if maybe if they thought about it, they could have put that at the end when it gets all very exuberant. It wouldn't belong yeah. right here. This is no. This spot is. Uh, uh, I think this is really a great line. To be honest with you, uh, the song is. I think trying to be illustrative, and what I, you know, what I said in the interview last week that using illustrations effectively is very hard to do. And, and you have to have these com- compact sentences. This is a great compact sentence as it evokes, I do have to earn the trophy for my dad to be proud of me, which evokes all the sermons most of us have heard at least one of about how, well, now don't, don't let your f- flawed natural father <clears throat> color your view of God. And that, you know, we've had those sermons before. Um, the, I mean, I, I just, I thought, I immediately knew what he was saying. I immediately knew how he was saying it. I didn't have trophy-loving parents, but I've seen television. I mean, it's just such a ubiquitous concept that they're tapping into. And the emotion of not being good enough for your parents to like you as much as you want them to and saying that doesn't apply in 10 words or however many words are there. Yeah, I thought that was an excellent line here. But And I wouldn't have wanted to divert it yet yeah, to what you're talking about. But I do think the way they go at the end of the song, there's so much celebration. It wouldn't be bad there, to be honest, um, for them to go ahead and bring that concept back, because instead of repeating things over and over, they've got space for it. I actually think they kind of do. They don't use the word trophy, but there's a point at which they switch from saying you are enough to I am enough. Yeah. And I and I yeah. actually think I that, that that may kind of reference, at least in concept, what I'm talking about, Okay, where it's like, okay, I, in Christ, I am, I am enough, if that's what they're saying. So, well, when, when Colin mentions that, uh, I am enough is couched within, it's nested within the concept of being sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's not something Maybe that that's the song not there. makes okay. abundantly clear. Same thing in this, in this verse. I mean, it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. Um, yeah, it, that may evince uh, memories of, of sermons where we, we talk about um, the the performance-driven father who's looking for uh, you to perform in order to earn his approval. Um, but again, I think we also have to be cautious that we're not we're not simply saying uh, you you are um, uh, how to put this. I've heard this put in not careful ways, and so I want to make sure I don't put it in a careless way. Um, 
It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. No, but it does. It does take um, Christ's merit to make me uh, something to be proud of. Does that make sense? I don't think I'm worth um, being proud of in my own uh, power, if that makes sense. Does that need to have been said before this statement or can it be said later? Yeah, that can be said later. That can be said later, but it's not said up to this point. So as long as it's in the song... That's okay. all. All I'm saying is there is stuff that you have to supply to make sense of this. Um, I think it's available, given the context. But then again, I've got my three scores at the end. And so, you know, if it's if it's in the wrong place in the sermon, I'm with you. <laughs> or in the service, rather. Going through a storm, but I won't go down. I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown. You've never been closer than you are right now. All right, now. so for the first time ever, we encounter the idea of a storm in worship music. Who knows, maybe we'll get to fire in a, at some point. But uh, So at first I thought, okay, here we go again. Here's this vague storm. I will note again, later in the song... There is a reference to circumstances. And so I wonder if the storm here does mean circumstances. And I don't think I would be, you know, supplying that just from my head if, you know, because based on what is said later in the song. So, you know, it just depends on what's being articulated here. Uh, if, if this means that we won't ever have something bad happen to us or something really terrible, no, that's not true. But if this means that in Christ we're we're always going to be rescued, we'll never actually drown, then yeah, that is true. I think that that is, that latter one is what's being said here, because going through a storm, uh, presumably on a boat, I get the, I mean, I the advances the image in my, in my mind of someone on a boat, you know, being kind of tossed around in the storm, um, the disciples even being tossed around in the storm. Um, and that is not a pleasant thing. And so for me, the unfriendly, unpleasant, dangerous circumstances are that storm. And so when it says I won't go down, I don't think it's saying um, bad things won't happen to me, but rather my ult my fate is sealed, if that makes sense, ultimately. And I will not ultimately perish in the storm, if that makes sense. So even if I, even if I suffer an earthly death, uh, I will not suffer a spiritual death. I take death. it broadly to mean because I trust you, I'm not going to despair broadly. Okay, but because I think it has to be not going down almost, it almost has to be on a boat. Because if you're just walking out on a sidewalk in the storm, what does not go down mean? I'm like, duck! I mean, no, it's not how we, it has to be kind of, but I was with Colin on the, I mean, why won't she go down? Because of her own determination? Probably not in this song. So that's not fair. But, but it may be, I think the available context of Proud Fathers is enough to justify the previous line as an illustration. But I also think there's a, there's an available context of, if I follow Christ, nothing bad is going to happen to me. That's available in American Christianity. And so given that, that line jumped out at me as, as an easy one for a new believer to misread. Uh, I have Christ, therefore, I won't die. He won't let me die in any situation. 
He won't let me be overcome. He won't let me suffer pain. I mean, whatever, don't go down is so broad. It could really just mean because I have Christ, no negative for me. And that's not what they're saying. And if you go through the rest of the song, I think you're going to lose that. But right here, it offers that as an option. So I'm a little harder on that, I think, than you are, Tyler. A little bit, maybe. Yeah, but at the same time, I think I would agree with you that the, the song doesn't close the door to that interpretation, and that would not, be erroneous. Not in, It would be erroneous. And I, I, again, it's not the main point. I think it gets buried in the nine minutes of other music. But, but it, it, that was one of my little moments of tighten this up, guys. Uh, what do folks think about the last line? You've never been closer. I was thinking... Um, you know, similar to the line earlier of I'll never be more loved than I am right now. I think you've never been closer than you are right now is can be a true statement in that, again, okay, if we're talking about physical presence, I guess that's a little bit weirder because, okay, God is with us in a spiritual sense and also God is everywhere. But I do get a sense in scripture that we might be in a closer kind of physical proximity in a sense um, to God and revelation. And like, we see his face, there's that kind of more intimate language that we see. So, but, but I think it's just in broader terms, it's true that God is not going to draw any closer to us in terms of maybe our acceptance, uh, before God, God, God accepts us now with the same acceptance that he accepts us on the new heaven and new earth. I, I don't know if, if, if this line caused anybody any problems or if everyone was fine with it. I interpreted this as uh, one's union with Christ through the indwelling Holy of Holy Spirit, and so in that sense, yeah, we, the Holy Spirit dwells in us bodily, and by that definition, there is no closer way for us to be with with God. And so I, I interpreted this much like the first verse as being a statement of um, already accomplished. Um, in the first verse, it was it was um, love already accomplished and given love, and here it's already accomplished uh, closeness or or unity. So I, this this line did not cause me any trouble. I did not take it in um, I did not take it to Revelation or anything like that, like you did, Colin. What about you, David? It's permanence and permanence and unwavering on God's part, basically. Yeah. In the first line, in this line, it, it's it's place is weird for me because you've got uh, going through a storm, but I won't go down, which <laughs> right. we just talked about. Right, right after which is I I hear your voice <laughs> carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. So now we've, we're evoking Peter, right? Yes. Which I think undergirds that I won't yeah. go down as being, hey, I'm Christian. God's going to make me walk on the water. Okay. Again, it's not saying that. That's an available read. Uh, you would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown, which I, I um, it's good if it kind of sort of reflects the incarnation. Um, and if it does, it's actually quite rich, you know. Um, but but if that doesn't come to mind, I'm not sure what. Again, that's more like, hey, when I'm in bad shape, every time I'm in bad shape, you will be there to grab my hand and pull me up. And that's why that that I won't go down thing stuck with me. So then it's then this line happens. And so for me, it was just oddly placed because I may not be following their story correctly, which is they probably have an image of I'm out in a storm. I won't go down. I hear your voice. You cross an ocean to me. Okay, now here you are. And then to say you've never been closer than you are right now. I tried to think of a better way to say it, and I couldn't because you've never been closer than you are right now. Also kind of feels like this is it. (laughs) Doesn't get any better. (laughs) You know, it's never been worse, which is not what they're saying. 
but they can't say you've never been farther than you are right now because that does sound bad. It was like there may be no way to fix whatever it is that I'm thinking might feel wrong about it. And I think it's it's fair for me to try and come up with that if I'm going to going to charge them with something. So it's not a bad line. It's just weird to me. Um, but I think it means what you think it means. And certainly the rest of the song affirms that. But in this first set of lyrics, it was a little jiggly jaggly for me in terms of where we are. I wanted to say, uh, as you talked about reading this, you would cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown as referring to the incarnation. I wanted to say that is how I interpreted this too. But again, once again, I think this is something that we're supplying to the song that the song doesn't necessarily make obvious. So yes, you're right. It's evincing uh, Matthew 14 where Christ walks on the water uh, and Peter says, you call out to me, um, let me do it too, and fails. But um, when, when I read this line about um, Christ crossing the ocean, I, I actually... Um, was thinking of the ocean in figurative terms, like a gulf that separated humanity, fallen man from its creator with whom uh, man once walked in union. union. And so um, I was actually thinking of something like Psalm 8, which is then later mentioned in Hebrews to be um, explicitly about Christ. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, you crowned it with glory and honor and placed everything under his feet, where where Christ, um, being God, was made man, so lower, in a sense, than the angels, but now crowned with glory and honor after suffering death and being resurrected and um, glorified. So um, I think we have to supply a little bit to the song, um, because... As of course, the most literal reading of these is not necessarily going to be true for the for the Christian. Um, s- Christians have drowned, and uh, that's in a, in a literal sense, obviously a, a sad thing. But they're Christians, and uh, we know we will be together again. So, what do you think, David? Well, I, here's the thing: you say we're supplying things to the song, and this is one of those one of those things you guys bring up a lot that I would often write you and say you're really over applying that sometimes. But there's a nuance. So when we talk about it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud, the concept of the proud father is very available culturally. So we're not supplying anything that most people wouldn't reasonably be expected to think of. And even the fact that you and I both thought of the incarnation there, I think I still agree with you on this point that you and I are bringing that. You know, I thought of the incarnation. I don't know if I but I I thought of the incarnation because I think of the incarnation, you know, sure. And you also sure. analyze worship songs in great detail for the last two years, whereas someone else is just going to sing this. And are they going to go, you'd cross an ocean so I wouldn't drown? They're probably still thinking about Peter because he's going over to grab Peter, who did fall in because his faith was weak. They're probably not going to get there. So I think I in this case, I think you're right. We're supplying that. It's not inherent. It's available, but maybe not very available. And I don't know if it's not available, then we're still really just talking about Peter. And does that lead into the next verse? If it's a ding for me, it's like a really little one. David, I really like this language that you use of availability. And it, just even in your comment right there, I can think of some ways in which I've thought of this in a one-sided way. So when I'm critiquing a song, I'll often think, okay, well, this is ambiguous, or this is ambiguous, this is vague. And what that means is there are there are potentially good interpretations of this, and then there are a lot of bad ones available. 
But I haven't always given that same kind of standard to what we might call the good things, the good available interpretations in a song either. So this is a case in point. You both supplied this idea of the incarnation. And what you've said, David, is, well, we can also think in terms of availability in kind of the Christian context too. So they don't have to say the incarnation, but you can reasonably assume that this is fairly dominant in, you know, this this would be something that would be probably thought about by many people that would sing it. And okay, there might be the one odd person or a few odd people that are hearing this and thinking something erroneous, but probably most people are going to latch on to this thing that seems like it could be there. Um, And I just think, okay, well, if I use that standard, I don't know, I might rethink some things that I've said about songs. I don't know. I, I'm I'm actually less positive about that than the two of you are, I think. I, I mean, I, I did think of the incarnation and then was surprised that Tyler thought of the incarnation because I thought, yeah, I'm I'm doing this. But maybe I'm wrong and maybe mm. you're I, I would think it would be the odd man that would think of the incarnation. It is available, but I but I don't know that it's very mm. available. But it sounds like you guys disagree with me. And maybe I mean, maybe we're the proof because we're all sort of going there. Well, well, I'm not I guess I'm not saying that's a good point. OK, I'm not uh, I should clarify. I'm not saying that um, I thought of that and I didn't think of that until you said it, um, which maybe proves your point. Um, but um but I just think that what you're doing kind of, I don't know, methodologically, if that's the right term, but what you're doing and saying, we should also think about what you're doing is causing me to think I should, in addition to thinking about potential negative or erroneous cultural ideas, individual, subjective ideas, et cetera, that could be filled into a vague thing or a metaphorical thing. It may be the case that there are some good ideas that that maybe are, are and and uh, true concepts and scriptural concepts that are actually just right on the edge of what you know the song is not directing you to them but it's maybe assuming that you that that the listener or this or the the worshiper or whatever will provide and maybe that's a reasonable assumption sometimes well, I'm the Jeremiah 1519 guy it's my thing you know, it's that's that's kind yeah. of my approach is, well, this seems worthless, but is there anything that can be found, any gold in here? Um, yeah, sure. I would say about this, I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. Yeah. Um, this, I think, is, um, I, I, this to me is flowery language for the sake of being flowery. So um, this could be, you call my name in the storm that I just was talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Some other flat, like some other less clunky way. Of, I mean, we're, we know we're in a storm because we just said it. I hear your voice. Okay, good. Carried. Okay, still hearing the voice. Carried on what? In the rhythm. In the rhythm of what? Of the wind. The wind has rhythm and the voice is carried in the rhythm of the wind. It, what is this saying other than I hear the wind, but I hear your voice right. calling my name? It sounds like Wicca. I mean, it. you know. It sounds like nature spirituality almost. Oh, it's okay. not, I like, but I mean, it, that's the first thing I thought is of druids and trees rumbling and vibrating the air. At, at, yeah. uh, I, it stopped me the first time. I was a little charitable, and I'm sorry, I, I was charitable after about 15 seconds, but that stopped me in my tracks too, Tyler, to be honest with you. 
This line reminded me of the introductions to the Wheel of Time books, if either of you have ever read them, where the, the there's this, okay, Robert Jordan talks about the wind and the wind blowing and like voices on, sometimes he'll talk about the wind doing different things. Anyway, it's the way he introduces all of his books. Personified okay. wind is very creepy to me. Yeah. Can I do the next line? Sure. Let's sing it out, y'all. That is scriptural. I mean, I stopped that and was like, that's in the Psalms. But <laughs> guess what? It's weird to see sure. it written down. It seemed yeah. normal when I listened to the song. Fact of the matter is, that is completely scriptural. However yeah. goofy it may look to see it in print. Mm. No, I don't think it's goofy. It's kind of like, mm. um, it's the opposite of the these and thous, right? Where the these and thous are flowery mm. language divorced from everyday use. Right. This is everyday use language uh, employed to praise God. It is it is in the spirit of the these and nows though, right? Because the these and nows are now associated with flowery language. Sure. But this would it would have, have been initially been uh, co common yeah, vernacular, personal, you know, very very personal relations. Yeah, right. Exactly. You are gyra, you are enough. Gyra, you are enough. And I will be content, even in it, in every circumstance, you are gyra, you are, you are enough. So let's sing it out, y'all, is scriptural. You are gyra, so you are, uh, the Lord provides, or the Lord will provide. Um, I don't think I uh, went into great detail about this, but uh, one of the reasons why the, the Lord has seen is interpreted as the Lord will provide in that passage from Genesis uh, 22 is because, as you'll remember, as Abraham is bringing Isaac up to the mountain, Isaac says, well, dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, oh, well, the Lord will provide it. And so when Abraham later um, names the place Jehovah Jireh, it's interpreted as that. So um, you are the one who provides. Do you see a connection between um, the provision and the being enough with what has come before this... Um, I guess the storm in the second verse or the um, not letting him down in the first verse. Is there a kind of cohesive uh, story being told here? Or are these just different praises, distinct praises? I mean, I'll just answer that question first and say, to me, this was a little bit sudden. I It kind of seemed like the song to me was going to be about uh, God's, yeah, unchanging character and his consistency. And, and then, yeah, and, 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 and his, 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 uh, you know, his salvation and his, yeah, his consistency through bad circumstances. And then we get to, yeah, God, you are enough, um, which I do think is a little bit different or potentially a little bit different. I don't know, David, what did you think? Um, I didn't, I didn't think about the question Tyler's asking, but I think the answer to the question is, um, is this is definitely a collection of different ideas. I think they I think they point in the same direction. They tie up in the end. But as you're yeah, going through, it's sort of random. I, my note was just it's a lot of space to say you provide God and that's sufficient. But it's <laughs> theologically accurate. And so it's OK to say it over and over. Um, and then I wrote a question, uh, which is I'm not sure that I ever have that attitude. Is it 
lying to sing that I do, or is it aspirational? Oh my or is goodness. it okay just because it's true whether I feel it or not? I, I'll, I'll say something to this because I do think the song wrestles with this intentionally or not in, in, in a moment. Um, yeah, it's true whether we say it or not. And mm-hmm. it's okay for us. In fact, it's probably good for us to say things that are true, even when we don't believe that they're true. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, uh, this is, I think, a good thing for us to do because if we're confronted with truth, objective truth, but our subjective feelings or perceptions are not aligned, uh, one way to align ourselves, I think, has to be even a kind of meditation on what is true. And I think that's what we're doing when we meditate on the truth. We're, 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 we're kind of telling ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves, uh, which we have to do constantly because even as regenerate Christians, we're, we're getting pulled by this body of flesh that we're in. So it seems to me that this is a, this is a good, it's good to have these aspirational comments in okay. scripture and to ha- and to have to say them you know i mean the Matt, you talked about in last week david you talked about confession and there are a lot of times when we you know it's good for us to be prompted to confess our sin because otherwise we won't uh, right. you know we'll, yeah and, and so being forced to do that is necessary and it it actually helps us do the thing that we weren't even intending to do right sure yeah okay that that's i was kind of it's funny, I felt very much the question when I wrote my notes, and as I looked at it today, I was like, I'm not feeling this question anymore. I think something akin to your answer is really where I was already, yeah. already I think I've slept mm. on it, obviously, and so some subconscious processing has happened. Mm. Forever enough, always enough, more than enough, forever enough, always enough, more than enough. My comment is, yep. That's your comment? Yeah. Yeah, it was like theologically accurate again and again and again. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Psalm 136. It's 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 correct in uh, in its word and it's correct in its form. I like that it's um we we have this repetition with a similar vocabulary but diff- distinct vocabulary. So forever enough, always enough. Both of these pointing to eternality and also immutability, the unchanging um sufficiency of god but then it even uh while remaining accurate ones one ups itself so to speak right where we have enough 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 but also in case you hadn't forgotten more than enough like this was never a question this was not even a close fight um god is more than enough so that is it's good and it's clever and it's it's clever in a way that doesn't draw attention to how clever it is unlike Maybe what David was talking about in the first verse, where you have to wonder if that was intentional or not. This is just, we're, we're going to keep the plain language, but we're going to make it, um, we're, we're going to keep this, you know, somewhat simpler language, but without sacrificing um, s- scriptural and theological truth. So I think it's very good. It's my color purple ending. You know, one of the reasons I I, I like the movie it just as a whole, but the fact that it's it, that it ends the way it does was always to me sort of like a reflection of heaven. It's like, well, oh, really? Did you think that, that oh, do you think Celie's happy now? Do you think things are better now? Whoops, there's more coming. Oh, did you think that was enough? Actually, there's more coming. Oh, did you think that was enough? We're about to break her heart with warmth and love. Wait till you see what's coming. That whole, 
to go forever enough, always enough, oh, by the way, more than enough. It's like, oh, did you like the chocolate ice cream? Here comes the fudge. Like there, there, it's not, it's not, ju- God is not just sufficient, mm. you know? He's not just evening us out. He's not just, okay, you're back to level. And it's, you know, it's just not what he's like. I don't want to forget how I feel right now on the mountaintop. I can see so clear what it's all about. So stay by my side when the sun goes down. Don't want to forget how I feel right now. And then we come to verse 3. I don't want to forget how I feel right now on the mountaintop. I can see so clear what it's all about. So stay by my side when the sun goes down. Don't want to forget how I feel right now. Uh, the word feeling tripped me up for about half a second. And then it didn't because I, this is, this is, this is saying in about three lines, what entire Psalms say, which is, uh, I'm in a good place and it is very easy to trust you when I am in a good place. And I know I will be in a bad place one day. Don't let me stop trusting you then. And, and But David will spend more time explaining that and describing that. But that is exactly what's going on here. It's, hey, I feel great today. In fact, the use of the word feeling and my tripping it up, my tripping up on it is part of the point. It's like, oh, I feel good right now. It's easy when I feel good, you know. Stay by my side when the sun goes. I don't want to forget. Like, yeah, that's that's I like this a lot. I, I didn't like it when I didn't think about it for a half second before all the words were there. By the time all the words were done, I was like, oh, you guys nailed that. Nice job. You could sing this after preaching on some of those psalms and people would just go, yes. So I, I'm a big fan, I say. I'm I'm glad that you liked it. I want to clarify some some things here. I think. I agree with you. This seems to be about, uh, this mountaintop seems to be figurative. This person has reached a kind of, um, maybe a spiritual apex of some sort and is in a very good place. But how does this square with what we saw earlier in the song? So, for example, in verse 2, going through a storm. So we were going through a storm, but now we're also on the mountaintop. Are these... Um, is this describing a uh, progression from one to the other, or are these one in the same experience? No. The, the contentment in uh, uncertainty is actually the mountaintop experience. No, to both. What we have here is a Kubrickian edit. This is the answer to the question you asked before. There's not a lot of continuity. So we were talking about a storm. Now we're not talking about a storm. We were saying, when there's a storm, you're sufficient. Now we're saying, by the way, when there's not a storm... It's super easy to think you're sufficient, although we're not evoking the storm. I think it's choppy. Again, I think the pieces add up, but there's not a real segue from one I from one sort of section of ideas to the next section of ideas. So I understand you being tripped up, but I think the answer to both your questions is no. Neither of those are in play. It's actually more more jagged than that. Um the, the parts are good, and maybe the jaggedness is an issue, but I, I was okay with it. Um, and maybe the jaggedness is why the feeling thing tripped me up, because I'm thinking of storms, and now we're talking about feelings. But then it, it finished, and I'm like, oh, good. Did it strike you as uh, maybe unfortunate choice of wording if this is about someone's spiritual um, mountaintop experience to use the word mountaintop? 
uh, when we've uh, titled this song Gyra, where Abraham binds Isaac and is ready to sacrifice him. Um, do you think that's unfortunate or do you think maybe that's intentional use of language? Because that's also on a mountaintop, which was later named Gyra. So um, is, is there a sense in which that might be intentional? It could be intentional um, from the standpoint of when did he name the mountain? When he was going up or when he was coming down? When you know, when 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 this was all settled and God had proven, like, not only can you trust me, but also I'm not a monster, right? I mean, he was probably very elated and very happy. And the I can see clear now. He he can now he knows what God was doing, which he didn't know when he was coming up the mountain. And I think they're saying, they've said before, there are gonna be times when I'm in the storm you know, swirling around, can't see things, lots of rain, hit the dirt, whatever. Uh, and I'm not going to go down because because I'm trusting you. There are also going to be times when I'm on the mountaintop and everything seems fine. I, I, I see no trouble coming because no trouble is coming for the moment. That It's just two different places a person can be in their, their walk with the Lord, so to speak. Um, again, I don't think I don't think that it, I don't think it turns the page smoothly. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that it is, I think that it is saying when things are bad, you're the same. When things are good, you're the same. But when things are good, I remember that easier. So when things are bad, please remind me. I mean, I, so I'm good with it, but I get, I get why you're, why you're, you've hit a speed bump basically in this road, kind of. Yeah, I agree with uh, kind of the the jaggedness of this and Tyler, what you've implied about the mixed metaphors. And I appreciate your comments, David, about the issue of the feeling part. Like you, I was stuck on this and I was stuck on it longer than you were. Um, but I appreciate what you've said because it's made me realize, OK, it wasn't real. That line, I don't want to forget how I feel right now, is not actually about the feeling. It's about the forgetting. It's It's saying the emphasis is on. I don't want to forget this true thing. I do wish still, I mean, maybe, and maybe this is a me problem and not a the author problem. I do wish for a word maybe different than feeling because what the person was describing was not so much a feeling, but it was certain truths about God, that God is sufficient and that God is um, always there and that God will provide and it's like, that's the thing that we don't want to forget. It's true that we don't want to forget the feeling in the sense that it's good to remember the times when we responded to truth. But we, did, but the thing that we want to keep in mind is the truth, not just our response to the truth, if that makes sense. So I guess maybe, maybe I'm, I'm close to where you're at, David, but maybe not quite there just because I, I think there might have been a better way to emphasize that what we don't want to forget is the truth, not just our subjective experience of the truth. Do you think that's fair or not fair? I, I think you're, you're right, Colin, actually, because the, the third line, uh, I don't want to forget how I feel right now, which does, it's almost like saying, because I think it is talking about feelings, not truths. I think it is saying, hey, life is good. I feel happy. You're easy to trust when I feel happy, right? Which is why I got tripped up. And they're like, oh, they recognize that that's vapid, that that's not the reason we trust. When th when things aren't good, I'm reading it as remind me to trust you. But it does say, remind me how I felt. It does actually say those words at the end. So no, you're not wrong at all. I think I think in, in the specifics and the detail, I think I was sort of intuiting the song and you're looking at the words closely. And, and yeah, she, she is saying, uh, 
when the sun goes down, I don't want to forget how I feel right now. So it is saying return those feelings. I think I think you could you could take that to return me to what I knew on the mountaintop, right? Which is that you're good and I'm good with you. But you're you're right. It it I it does it does specifically say don't let me forget how I felt, which reaffirms that feelings are important. I mean, feelings are important, but they're not truth detectors. I would like to say, though, this is actually a pretty clever verse, because look at that third line in the third verse. These ideas are connected. I can see so clear what it's all about. So the feelings that the person is experiencing are related to one's still subjective. Seeing is still a subjective experience, yet it's about more than merely human emotion. It's about perceiving the world. And so... Uh, when the person is on the mountaintop, if you've ever climbed a mountain, you can see very clear for miles and miles, and you can see what it's all about. And so perhaps all these realizations... Do you, do you mean like seeing accurately? Yes. Is that how you're reading yeah. that? Okay. All these realizations about God's character um, are influencing how the person feels in the moment, and the person wants to hold on to that. Uh, when the sun goes down, so I guess when visibility is reduced... Um, the person wants to maintain these thoughts and feelings. So for you, the feelings in the, at the end of that of that last line carry with them the things that evoke the feelings, which is that clarity, i.e. when things are going well, God, I know you're good, right? I can see that you're good. It's clear to me that you're good. When the sun goes down, remind me what that you're good. Even though they say remind me of the feelings, you really take it more as remind me of the things that gave me those feelings. Well, I don't want to go too far. It does say okay. don't want to forget how I feel. I'm not right. going to say it's saying something other than that, but okay. the feeling is not entirely disconnected from reality in the sense of perceiving reality as it truly is. So did you guys ever sing a song? I have a question. Did you guys ever sing a song called When My Cup Runneth Over in um, in Sunday School? Okay. No. Well, it's it's very much the same idea. It goes, when my cup runneth over with joy, when my cup runneth over with joy... I find it easy to pray and sing all the day when my cup runneth over with joy. And then, of course, when my cup is so empty and dry, the person has a hard time doing all these things. But um, it just reminded me of that. That's a good song for kids. Yeah, except for the runneth. And no one says runneth. Um, well, I mean, we're all on board with that, I think. Yeah. Mmm. I'm already loved. I'm already <laughs> chosen. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh, maybe someone else should read these lines. <laughs> no, you definitely should, Tyler. Please, yeah, let's you keep it up. definitely should. I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I could imagine. And that is enough for me. Oh, I was pretty happy yeah. with this. There's an emphasis here on God's work, his sovereignty, his sovereignty in, I think we can say salvation with the idea of being chosen. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm providing that, but I think that's to use David's word that I think that's available as it mm. were. Uh, and uh, 
you know, the, even just the power of God to speak and to make something happen. Uh, these are all, these are simple ways of saying these things, but I think those truths are pretty, pretty clear in, in here. I agree 100%. I think these are very good lines. Um, one is, and I, I like that they're past participles because uh, they are referring to verbs, right? Loved points to the verb love, God being the one who loves. Chosen referring to choose, God being the one who chooses. Um, I know who I am. I know what you've spoken, right? So this makes it very clear God is the one speaking. And I, I also like this uh, this connection you've made. I didn't make this connection, Colin, but um, fleshing it out now verbally, uh, I am reminded of how even God even creates linguistically. So the world is, he doesn't just, he actually doesn't snap his fingers and make light. He right. speaks light mm -hmm. into existence. And, yeah. and Christ is called the word, the logos. And so we have um, this speaking power demonstrated in these lines. Um, and I'm already loved more than I could imagine. I do think there's some continuity here back to that first verse where we don't need a trophy for God's love. We actually are already loved more than we could imagine. Um, and yeah, and then the sufficiency is hinted at in that final line. And that is enough for me. Uh, I know what you've spoken represents an unusually good segue for this song, because it is going to start talking more and more about things that he's said, things that he's declared, i.e. Mm. his word. Yep. And that's, it's the first appearance of it. And it's just going to start popping up like crazy below. And, and I liked that specifically. Um, also just good as words of affirmation. I mean, these are, um, so yeah, I think, I think I third both of you on that. Well, after that is enough for me, we have, yes, it is. Yes, he knows. What does he know? I don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't really know what to do with that line. It felt That's like... Blah, 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 ironic blah, 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 because blah. the line is like, he knows. And uh, yeah, I know, but I felt like this is the yeah, yeah, yeah of she loves you. This is just words for musical <laughs> sake. Uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. Maybe he knows these same things. Obviously, God does know these same things, but um, yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, there's really not much to say there. There's not much to go from. No, there's a part of it is the way it's sung. It 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 almost sounds like someone comforting someone else. Like he, he knows like that. Yeah, that's the only thing I could make out of it is the possibility that it's it's hey, if you're feeling bad, who listens to this song here in minute six and a half? He knows he's that. But that was it. But it's it's also there's literally not enough content for it to be harmfully vague. Sure. It's just vague. It's just a couple of yeses. It's like affirmative, and then he, being God... Confirmed! Yeah, yeah. he is aware. And that is enough. That is enough. What his truth says is better than anything. That is enough. That is enough. What he's declared over us, it's true. That is enough. That is enough. Are you stopping? I, yeah, I, I don't want to repeat <laughs> yeah. too much. Yeah. There's a lot of repetition. Okay. I could. I, that is enough. That is enough. That is enough. Is. That is enough. But we'll stop for there. Yeah. I, for now. Okay. I mean, I mean, yes. Uh, what do you think the that is pointing back to? Is it what he is spoken i'm already loved and that is enough for me you think that's the same that is enough i would say so keep going checklist more um i don't yeah. i don't think anything is off the list he's sufficient yeah. he's there 
when I'm in the storm. He's there when I'm on top of the mountain. I'm chosen. He's spoken. I think it's all of that stuff. I don't think there's anything ahead in the song that doesn't fit that well. And in practice, it's Psalm 136 again. Just say things over and over. That's actually okay. His steadfast love endures forever. I like what this verse does, or this first refrain does, where we have um, kind of a logical chain being created, and there's different links in this. So we have what his truth says is one link. It's connected to is better than anything, which is connected to what he's declared over us, which then is connected back to the first link. It's true. So we have this logical system where what he has declared is true, and what his truth says is better than anything. Does that make sense? It's it's circular, but it's a good circle. Yeah. I mean, and in that in you've got to you've got to go around the whole thing to get the top part to work. It is circular reasoning, um, but yeah, I'd... I meant circular structural, not reasoning. Circular structurally, like you need to you need to go down to come back up and make the top part. Yeah be what it is, but you are going to go down. So the top part means what it is. <laughs> right. It's a Mobius. It's a spiritual Mobius or something, right? <laughs> That's better than a ring. <laughs> Uh, and then we have the first time I think we've seen this word, you uh, know, this entire song, Jehovah, you are, El Shaddai, you are, when I have you, I have everything, when I have Jesus, I have everything, that is enough, because you are enough, you're my portion, more than enough for me, sing, you are enough for me, so I am enough, you are enough, so I am enough. I mean, yes, I, again, I, I just think this is true, uh, and, uh, I don't know if I want to skip to the end, but I appreciate the some of the names of God in here, Jehovah, El Shaddai, and this idea of God being our portion. So we're seeing now some very clear references to Scripture. This is something that's mentioned in numerous Psalms and elsewhere. And I also like the idea of, so I am enough. It's true that if we just said, I am enough yes. on its own, that would be yes. deeply problematic. Deeply problematic. But... After having said everything else in the song, I really like this line. It is true. Uh, after saying God is enough a million times, it's okay to say, um, I am enough. Now, you mentioned earlier, Tyler, that you weren't sure if this is providing, uh, you know, when I think I am enough after everything that's been said, I, I'm interpreting identity in Christ. Like, I'm thinking this is a statement about our identity in Christ. Um, and so I'm okay with that. Um, what do you... What do you think, Tyler? I think in context here, it's actually more clear than I was even giving it credit for before. So not just that everything preceded it in the song, but even syntactically, it's introduced by this uh, conjunction. So I am enough, yes. which is yes. there's no question there. So implies a causal relationship that something preceded this. It's like when you're reading a, a letter from Paul uh, to one of the churches and he's like, Therefore, brothers, well, you have to go back and figure out what he said, because this is all kind of building on that thing. And so when it says, so I am enough, it's not saying, um, it's definitely not saying I am enough, you know, divorced from everything that came before. In fact, it's saying the opposite. I am enough as a consequence of what was just said. So, yeah, I think this is good. I like the, I, I mean, Jehovah, yeah, it's a little bit archaic, this um, name for God, Yahweh, which is then... Um, kind of pasted over the vowels of Adonai with 
German uh, um, consonants for the four letters of the Tetragrammaton. Um, El Shaddai, which is typically God Almighty, although that that term also has some um, uh, varying etymologies among scholars as well, but most uh, Bible translations use God Almighty. Um, it's a name God uses for himself uh, when he appears to Abram. Um, I like the sense that uh, I have everything when I have Jesus. This is also excellent because it it's a different way of painting Christ's sufficiency um, and actually making something that's a little bit ethereal, like you are enough, um, putting a person to it, if that makes sense. So, um, and then we have this, you are my portion, which I think is a uh, reference to Psalm 16. Um, the Lord is my uh, portion in my cup. So, um, yeah, just, just good stuff here. I love the word. So I love that word. I mean, I just, that ties the room together in this particular case. I mean, it, and it's so pivotal. No so, and I am enough blows the whole paragraph. And I think when I went through it the first time, I I was listening rather than reading. And I was like, oh, I like everything but that I am enough. And I was like, so the great equal sign, you know, that's so I, I'm absolutely behind both of you completely. This this great big section of blather, which would be an easy way to dismiss it. You know, all this repetitive is wonderful. It's just wonderful. And then we have a second bridge. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? So don't you worry. No, don't you worry. I'm falling in love's love. How much more our father loves you? How much more does he love you? We have that introduction of God speaking, and now we have scripture. We've got a refrain on several concepts in Luke 12 of, of Christ's own words. Uh, being said back to us in the song. And I think this is a reasonable, as far as I could tell, a pretty reasonable summary of what Christ says in in Luke 12. Do you have any thoughts, David? I'm falling in love's love hung me up a little bit. Ah, yeah, that's second bit, yeah. Yeah, now, the first love, loves, is capitalized, so per, per, presumably a person. Uh, God is love. Yeah. So I, I can kind of do that, but this, at worst, is, is my sort of... Uh, flowery for floweriness's sake complaint. Um, I think it still mostly works. Um, but yeah, that was the only thing that tripped me up. And and again, you know, that's that's like, I have peanut pie. Oops, there's one walnut. Well, the pie is not ruined. Okay. You know? Yeah. It seems like they've written the first love with a capital L. Yes. And so I wonder if that's meant to be identified with God. And so... But, uh, yeah, I think that's what I think. I think it's I'm, I'm falling in God's love. But then I was like, I don't know what falling in God's love sure. means. And why would I be falling? Unless it was like, you know, we're back to the beginning. I'm, I'm, I'm in the sea. I'm in the storm. Things are going bad. But I'm in God's love. Like, I'm falling, but in God's love. But it's so quick that it doesn't quite pull that together for me. Yeah. Again, we're talking about a minor quibble at this point in the sure. song. 
But at the same time, the even the expression falling in love in modern English kind of implies uh, like a romantic infatuation. And that's not really the kind of love that we're talking about when you talk about God's agape love for his uh, for his children. So it may be a little bit uh, flowery to its own detriment. I think maybe that's where I am. But it's not much flowery. It's I'm sorry, it's not much detriment. This didn't bother me too much. I agree with the things that you, the both of you have said, and I do take those things on board. I, this is maybe unnecessarily, yeah, clumsy is not the right word. It's just unnecessarily goofy maybe is not the right word either. But it's just, yeah, It's there would be a better way to say this. I think, I don't think it's clever, but I do think it's playing on a colloquialism that we have, falling in love, but, and I don't know what falling is doing like you, but I'm, I'm, it does invert, when we think of falling in love, when we say I'm falling in love, we're talking about something we're doing, the action is placed on us, and the action is, or the emphasis is placed on our action and our love. I wonder if what they were trying to say was something like, God's love was pre-existing, or preeminent, and so when I fell in love with him, I was really falling into something that he provided. That may or may not be what they mean by that, but I felt like it wasn't hard for me to get that reading out of it when I looked at the words, saw the capitalization, and just thinking of the context of the song and some other things that have been said in the song about being chosen. And um, so, so I didn't really have a huge issue with this. I think it's a silly way to say this, maybe, or or maybe not as clever as they might think it is, but it didn't really bother me that much. I would just say, not just to be contrarian, but just to be clear. I don't think I can read that from from this line. I think that's I think okay. you're reading that into it personally, but Fair enough. maybe I'm wrong. Um, you're always wrong, Tyler. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, to the degree that I have an issue with it, it's so they might also be be taking the I'm falling in love and saying I'm falling in love's love. In other words, there's this this sort of irresponsible irresponsible kind of love that we think of, but in my case, the object makes it okay. But the follow up how much more does he love you almost makes the fact that it's an inept statement okay. So however, if, however kooky or clunky or flowery or clumsy my love is, how much more does he love you is the conclusion to that sentence. So it's almost it's almost kind of like they covered the spread. <laughs> yeah, that might be a good way to think of it. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm a curmudgeon. I just don't, I don't, I, I don't see it. I don't see it yet. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not convinced. Um, there goes the five. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, who says, I mean, who adds a possessive before falling, before the love of the phrase falling in love? I've never even heard that phrase broken up. Like falling in, what would it mean to fall in David's love? Well, what would it mean to fall in God's love? Well, like, let's just say they mean I God. I don't even and know. The word God there. <laughs> I don't know what that I, means. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree that even when I, when I put the word God there, which the capital love made me do pretty quickly, I still went, yeah. But I mean, it wasn't a big, uh, it was just a, uh. my mind goes to, um, when, when I think about this, it just sounds like, um, like the, the opposite of Psalm 121, three, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Like, I think I, I won't fall in God's love. I will stand in God's love. I will be secure in God's love. So I just think it's, it's trying to make a, it's trying to take a turn of phrase and fit God into it, just like it did before with, um, I wasn't holding you up, so I won't let you down. I think it's taking a turn of phrase and trying to do something clever with it. That's just, 
And I'm not trying to be cynical. That's just my read on it. No, but for cleverness's sake and in a way that obscures meaning rather than enhances it. That's yeah, that's where I am with it. I mean, I think that's probably I don't think it's a a big ob obfuscation, but I think there is a little bit there. But, you know, I'm probably closer to Colin than you, but I'm definitely in the middle. Good. It's more than you ask, think, or imagine, yeah. According to his power working in us, it's more than enough. So we got scripture right here, Ephesians 3, verse 30. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And then, of course, the song adds, it's more than enough. So I guess the question is whether this is a relevant, a, a relevant passage of scripture, but I do I think it is. David or Tyler, do you guys have thoughts on this? Can you just say um, Ephesians 3.20 one more time? Because you said 3.30. Is that what it's not? Is that what it's not? Ephesians 3.30. No, it's... Or, excuse it's... me. <laughs> Ephesians... Sorry. Ephesians 3.20. Splice that in. We'll do. That'll cut right into that sentence perfectly. His cadence won't even show that <laughs> it's an sure. edit. And I don't, like either, <laughs> I don't know if you thought about this, Tyler, but Ephesians 3. <laughs> <laughs> I that or just leave this as it was. I suppose that's the other thing you could do. I Let could. everybody know I got it wrong. No. In the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Um. Yeah. So in, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, this comes at the end of the chapter and it's... <laughs> It's actually a sort of valediction. I mean, now to him, it's not at the end of the letter, so it's not really a true valediction, but it's just this kind of assertion. Uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, comma, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, and in this song, it's used in a little bit of a different way, I think, um, where we were riffing on the idea before that it's it's not just sufficient but it's more than sufficient it's more than you ask it's more than you think it's more than you can even imagine uh it's more than enough and then this according to his power working in us i guess uh undergirds or perhaps explains uh how it's more than enough maybe i i i definitely see that in scripture i don't see exactly how it fits in but well, I think the way it fits is he's saying, you know, Paul says that this is not exactly tangible. It's something that actually, uh, well, it is tangible, but it eludes us in a way that we can fully grasp it. Paul's saying that. But here's something that we can know about God's love. It is more than enough. Like, even if we can't know the substance of it, we can know the value of it. But what does it mean? My question is, what does it mean? What it means is this... This song has been characterizing our grasp of God's love as imperfect and needing reaffirmation here and there. And I think what they're saying is uh, his love is more than you ask, think, or imagine. And according to his power working in us, i.e. not how I feel about it, it is more than enough. It's his power working in us that makes his love more than enough, not my perception of it, my grasping of it, my confidence in it. That's the summation of the whole song, I think. It's how I read this last this last three. For me, it's three. I probably I take the lines and put them together sometimes, but I've got three lines. If um, so, that's that's what I took it as a summation of the entire song, basically saying it really is true, and it's according to His power, 
that it's enough. And that's in contradiction to the things said before where he's, you know, she or he are saying, don't let me forget when the sun goes down and, and you know, that sort of a thing. I think it's saying it's true in spite of our ability to grasp it. But that's in the context of the song that preceded it that I, that I got that. I don't know that I could draw that equation out for you exactly. No, no, no. But that is the conclusion I came to. I think I, I, think I see it, and I'm seeing it a little bit more clearly now, even in context of this verse, because it's tied in with the with the line that preceded it, Colin. Maybe you saw this, and um, yeah, I'm I'm missing this. How much more does he love you? No, no, no. That it's line? more than you ask, think, or imagine. Right. This is exactly oh, okay. what it says in Ephesians three twenty. Now right. to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Um, that asking and thinking is already there. The imagining can be implied from that. Uh, and it's actually pretty clever, isn't it? Because we've been singing about it being more than enough, more than enough. And then at the very end, we have this verse that says far more abundantly. So it's just, it's like a, a very neat way to thread the needle, I think. So far more abundantly and because of him. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Not, you know, specifically. Yeah. Right. Not, I feel good today. Yes. You know? Well, those are the lyrics to the song and our thoughts on the lyrics. Colin, what are your concluding thoughts about this song? Uh, overall, this is a song that I think has a few small inconsistencies or, or unclear bits, but those are, for me in my interpretation, pretty few and far between. On the whole, this is a, a, a song that declares a lot of true things and for the most part declares them well. There's emphasis on God's scripture in here. I think if that, God's, if, if, if the Bible, excuse me, I think if scripture were not eventually made prominent in the song, it would lack. It would be based too much on metaphor and and true colloquialisms, but colloquialisms nevertheless. And the whole package of the song, although it took 10 minutes to, to get it all out, is, I think, reasonably comprehensive and coherent. I don't know, David, what you think. Well, I was going to ask, when you say if Scripture hadn't been brought in, do you mean if they had not made references to Scriptures, or if Scripture as a concept, i.e. He, his word he declared? Which did you mean? That's a good point. Um, I, I am especially appreciative of, and maybe this is the historian in me, of, of the primary source texts that are brought in. So the examples. And so... There are scriptural concepts that are in the song, you know, even at the in the first couple of verses. But I feel like it gives the song more definition when they start talking about what's in Luke 12, for example, and what's in Ephesians 3:20. Uh, the, these these more concrete, explicit ideas from scripture to me give the song a bit more weight than it would have if these were not there. I think, and I think I'm with you, except that I went the other way, which is, it's when they start saying, because he said it, because he declared it, we know what he has basically declared for us. We know what he's written, that I was like, okay, now we're getting at, you know what I mean? I The evocation of scripture as a as a source, for me, was, was where I felt the way you felt when you started seeing the actual, the more uh, clear examples brought in. And, th and then they did it, you know, so yeah, I agree with you, that, that was important for them to say. I just, I really like the fact that they then just did that. They're like, okay, and yeah. here's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. If I wrote something that's kind of, it's kind of almost uh, follows up what you were asking earlier, Tyler. We talked about the segueing. I wrote the parts are generally good, right? I registered it as parts. Uh, and even if imperfectly expressed, what's expressed is, I think, never incorrect. 
Um, and I, I think, would you say the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? Well, that's the thing. Um, I think it's a very good salad as opposed to a stew or a soup. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. there's a tomato, yeah. I'm eating a tomato. There's some lettuce, it's good lettuce. There's a little fleck of cheese, it's good cheese. You know, ultimately call it a salad. I ate a salad, but I was eating parts, you know, that collectively add up to a salad versus I had chili where it all blends together. Uh, and I think that's, that's valid. Um, so I don't know if this, I don't know if the, if the sum is greater than the whole of the, what did you say? I can't say that. The whole of... I think I said the whole is greater than the sum of the, the parts. That's the correct way to say it. I don't know if the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, but the parts are good parts. The whole doesn't... It's at least as good as the sum it, of it the parts. It doesn't need to be greater than the sum of the parts. They're very good parts. Yeah. I would say uh, this is another situation where I was pleasantly surprised with the Elevation team. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean that as a kind of jab at them. It's just they haven't, they haven't always performed well by our metrics which i realize are our metrics that we're not pretending to be kind of um objective in any sense but try to stay close to something approximating um objectivity and or at least consistency or consistency and and maybe um you know claims that are falsifiable like this is uh not found in scripture or not uh, to our knowledge found in scripture so um this is a, there's a lot of scripture in this song and it uses it in thoughtful ways and yes there's a lot of repetition but it's repetition of sound ideas it's not repetition of um oohs like we've seen in some songs where people do sound like ghosts or something like that saying ooh and oh over and over again so with that being said uh why don't i start with you david uh what would you give this song out of five well and out of five <clears throat> what's yeah so benefit of the doubt that a reasonable arranger of worship would not use this as a call to worship um, okay. as an opening song. Uh, they wouldn't use it as a lead into confession um, that this is this is a conclusory song. I think this is an end of the service. Let's talk about what we just learned kind of a song. And in that used in that manner, I would give it. Huh, yeah, I've actually upped it because of our conversation, I would give it five Steven Spielberg's Schindler's Lists. Oh, wow. <laughs> going to a dark place. How are we going to work this out, David? Schindler's List is a movie that is full of life while being about a very, very dark thing. There's heaviness and there's life and there's joy and there's redemption. It It is true. It gets everything that it should get right, right. And one would have to be, uh, one would have to actively work to turn that film into something too schmaltzy. And so I think someone could watch this video and be like, eh, they're just babbling and not pay attention. But I think if you pay attention, you have something better. Now, used earlier in the service, like maybe not, not after the sermon, for instance, middle of the service, I would probably only give it four Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kinds. <laughs> because... Uh, intuition is required at that point. Okay. Um, and that's as in Close Encounters. Roy Neary has clearly seen aliens. He's clearly got a calling. He can't explain it to anybody. It's just a very subjective thing. And there's a lot of, we sort of did this, all of us, in different spots where we would hit something and it didn't hit us. We, we just went in a certain direction in our minds. 
we went to the incarnation. Uh, you didn't have a problem with love's love, Colin. That's a that's a Roy Neary uh, has a calling and can't quite figure out the shape of the Devil's Tower thing. And then he does. And it's right. How does he know it's right? What can he compare it to? Well, we haven't heard that yet. Now, used as an opening, as a call to worship, like as the first thing you hear, I would give it to Steven Spielberg's Twilight Zone, the movie episode to kick the cans. <laughs> Because the the pluses and the reverie are unearned. Um, and I think I think that early in the service, I think you're going to leave a lot of people in the dark. This needs to follow a declaration of the gospel and some explication of scripture. And if it does, I think I mean, it's not a three. It's a it's a bonus. If it does, it's what a great sermon. And then that song just lit the Roman candle. And I think if you use it at the beginning, it's retroactively going to be fine, probably. But I think, I, so again, it's, I'm contextualizing uh, how much Christianity, how much teaching preceded it to get you ready for what this song is doing so that you're not just saying he is enough, more than enough enchanting, but actually paying attention to the words you've said. And I think, I think some confession and some gospel has to precede that. Uh, and if it does... Uh, yeah, I'm a full five. Wow. That's I don't great. know how you write that down. And I'm so sorry. You can just call it a five if you want. Uh, yeah, this... I, I could do something that would not be very satisfactory, which would be to sum them and divide them by and three. I'm a 3.5 or something. Yeah. Like, 3.75 yeah, or whatever. 3.6667 yeah. or something. Yeah, not ideal. Colin, what'd you give it? I give it four out of five Babylon bees. And, uh, a few weeks ago, Either of you probably didn't see this. There was a great headline in the Babylon Bee that is relevant to this song. The headline was, Ram relieved as kindly old Jewish man frees him from thicket. Oh, okay. Abraham, the thicket. Of course. Okay. Yeah, the ram yeah. doesn't realize what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right, the Lord provided that ram. <laughs> so, yes, uh, and I thought coming. I also thought of making my uh, four out of five uh, out of slippery in-ear monitors as well because the the hey. guy kept adjusting his monitors. Anyway, Tyler, what did you give it? I gave it four out of five in-ear monitors. Oh yeah, there we go. Because Sorry. He kept fiddling with it, and then eventually he just took it out about three quarters of the way yeah. through the song. He just took it out and was singing without it, and it was and great. took off his glasses, too. And wow, he was a powerful singer and a oh really goodness. good, really good musician. I was impressed. Yeah. This could have been a first. It was just fine without the in-ear monitors. You guys could have had the same thing for the first time. Yes, it's happened several times. The Mickey times. Mouse thing. The Mickey, the Mickey Mouse one was the jumping the shark. I mean, that was insane. I wonder if I've heard that yet. There, there was a song that we did where... There were just some circles in the stage and the music video in the background, okay. and both of us picked. We both of us somehow not only picked the circles, mm -hmm. but we both also thought that the circles looked kind of like Mickey Mouse. Sure, like it, it, it was insane. Hidden Mickey's are. It's a very easy to find symbol. Yeah, Disney. Disney knows what uh, they're doing for sure. Well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to our first guest review of a song. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you found it informative and thought-provoking. And we uh, ask that uh, you would send us your feedback to feedback at theworshipreview.com. Uh, send us uh, also any uh, gifts that you might have for us. We would appreciate that as well. Bitcoin. Uh, Shiba Inu coin, if you have that. Dogecoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, anything you've got. Uh, we'll take it, and uh, we will look forward to 
seeing you next week. Thank you again also, David, for uh, joining us for the interview first and now for a guest review as well. This is a short rule. You're only doing one song. It's only 10 minutes of music. Usually I'm covering 25 when we go four hours. Nine, well, it's nine minutes and 59 seconds of music, right? That's right. And why is it nine minutes and 59 seconds of music? Because they might have to pay a premium for going over 10. That's right. Over five and over 10. You have to pay a premium for streaming. So that becomes a guideline. David, how can people keep up with you if they uh, want to hear more of you or read more of you or see more of you? Well, I've got a Facebook page and I post quips about movies or old runs of Farsight comics, depending on how good of a movie day it is. Um, and I usually comment and quip on those. And I have very smart friends, so the conversations are fun. Uh, it can be found at goldsmithodyssey.com. Goldsmithodyssey.com? I think that works. And it redirects to the actual Goldsmith Odyssey page. But I think goldsmithodyssey.com, if you want to hear, <clears throat> again, not a film podcast, not a film music podcast, one guy's film music podcast. Absolutely. For the last three years, we have been covering his works from 1961 when his contract with CBS <laughs> ran out and he worked like a mad person on everything he could get. So we've done episodes of Wagon Train, Rawhide, Thriller, Twilight Zone, Kane's Hundred, Dr. Kildare, GE Theater. It's unbelievable how much work he did in 1961. In 1962, he will start his film career proper but we will have covered 30% of his output. Wow. Because of all the TV he did in 61 and the radio and the television before that. And yeah. David, that's amazing. That it's is amazing. Really impressive. And it's, it's very, very unappealing to someone who doesn't already like Jerry Goldsmith and want to hear the obscure stuff they've never had available. Um, but we do a friendly show. Um, as I was saying earlier, it got us... Uh, Colin... I'm on a Blu-ray commentary for The Wind and the Lion, a Sean Connery movie from 1965 in France on a French Blu-ray. Um, they contacted us and said, can you get us with anyone who can tell us about the music? And we connected them with director John Milius, who's had a stroke, so he couldn't do anything. And they said, well, do you guys want to do a commentary? So we did a commentary on the actual history, on the filmmaking and on the music. Two years into the podcast, we're on a Blu-ray commentary. Incredible. The height of fame and fortune. I'm in sure. France. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and we're Vost, which means version original subtitled so that the so that the French can understand what we're saying. So I'm subtitled. I'm an art film. You absolutely you absolutely need to get like a, a screenshot of yourself with French subtitles. That would be so cool. Well, they don't show me. It's a commentary. Well, put the subtitles over your actual picture and I don't know, have a baguette and a cigarette then uh, you'll be very French. Well, listeners, thank you once again, and uh, we hope to catch you next week. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.